You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Hey everybody, I'm Sean Reynolds, the owner of Summer Properties Northwest, Reynolds and Klein Appraisal, and your host for this episode of the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. I haven't been doing a ton of coverage of the whole COVID-19 thing, frankly, because I'm kind of burned out talking about it. And I think a lot of other people are like, oh, geez, if I have to think about that one more time, I'm going to scream. So I've kind of just been avoiding the topic in general because people are just, they're over it. They, I think people are still concerned about others wearing their mask and whether they should be wearing their mask and how to handle social distancing. And with, if you've got loved ones, my 93 year old grandmother passed away last Wednesday. And so I had, I had not been able to see her in the adult care facility for, oh man, since the beginning or middle of March. And so you got March, April, May, June, and half of July. So like the last five months of my grandma's life, I couldn't see her, which was horrible, but I could see her through a window and I could talk to her. I went and talked to her on her birthday, which was uh, towards the end of June, had contact that way. And we'd talk to her at this window to her bedroom. And it was just kind of this whole Mickey Mouse setup, but it was better than nothing. It's better than not seeing her. But those are kind of the issues that people I think are dealing with is the hard reality of the whole coronavirus thing. How do you handle it with life? And I know school starting up is coming up and talking with one of my brokers, Nathan Morello, and his wife's a school teacher and or maybe a school educator. I think you'd go there. But this whole thing is just really super difficult. And so I just haven't been really mentioning it much because I think it's on everybody's mind already and people are already burned out. And you don't need to hear just one more podcast about the effects of COVID-19 on whatever. But this one um, I thought was really interesting. And it um, makes a lot of sense to me. And it's a topic that's out there that I think a lot of people haven't paid attention to. And I'm in housing, of course, I'm, I'm the owner of a real estate brokerage, we've got 110 brokers somewhere in there. I'm also the owner of a real estate appraisal company appraisals going out appraisers going out doing appraisals during the COVID, putting their lives on the line, but broker but uh, nobody paying them anymore. Yeah, that kind of thing and uh, host the Seattle Real Estate Podcast, all real estate related. And so one of the topics that I think people are looking at, and they're looking at in general, is the fact that certain areas, and the housing is being reflected in that certain areas are set up like the whole areas with tech industry like Seattle and San Francisco are set up to be able to work from home, you've got way more workers living in way more housing, that are able to work from home. And so those areas and their housing markets are going to rebound way faster than areas that have basically entry level workers that are maybe minimum wage or something like that, that those jobs don't allow them to work from home, you can't do it restaurant workers, hospitality, hotels, all of that kind of stuff, uh, mini mart workers, anybody in those jobs, you can't work from home. So when those economies are shut down, guess what, those people aren't making any money. So there's a real haves and have nots. And that's what I seem to be talking about lately is, you know, the ultra rich and then the poor getting poorer. I'm not some crazy social guy, but that is what's happening, right? I mean, that's what we're seeing in front of us. So one of the articles that caught my eye that I wanted to talk about was housing market performance directly correlates with economy's resilience. And when I read economy's resilience, I kind of thought you could replace economy's resilience with people who can work from home. 
that's what we're talking about. And that's, that's the economy's resilience is the area you live in, what is its economy based on? If it's based on tech workers and people who can work. And when I say tech workers, I basically just mean people who work in front of a computer. As simple as that. That could be any kind of job. But tech workers, especially here in, in the Seattle area, you've got Amazon, you've got Facebook, you've got Google, you've got, you know, the list just goes on of companies. So those are all people that can basically work from home and they have been doing that. So those people haven't lost out on, empl on, on employment. Uh, but then there's that whole other segment of the United States where those people can't. So we're going to get into that a little bit here. Um, and this is an article from Housing Wire. That's a, a media company that I think has some really good, really good information. And the second byline was resilient cities have higher concentrations in sectors like financial services and IT that have adapted to a work from home market environment, basically because they can. And this is an article written yesterday, July 20th, 2020 by Mary Ann Azevedo. How a city's housing market fares amidst the COVID-19 pandemic correlates largely to the industries that fuel its economy, a recent report has found. Home co-investment company Unison recently released its first resilient and vulnerable cities report in which it used data to predict which U.S. cities will likely see housing prices suffer. On the flip side of that, it also identified which cities will likely see housing prices stay stable or rise. Now, we're seeing a ton of information in the media about certain areas, and I'm going to do a couple of podcasts on that, that are doing really, really well. Vulnerable cities have high concentrations of jobs in sectors like retail, manufacturing, and hospitality. These cities have experienced severe levels of job loss due to the current pandemic. I think everybody knows that, but I think they don't really think it through. Okay, where are those jobs located or what cities get hit the most? And that's some of what we're going to take a look at here. So Boston was ranked the most resilient U.S. city with numerous prestigious universities and hospitals among its top employers. It's also home to some of the world's largest insurance and investment management companies. Beyond education, healthcare, and financial services, Boston also has strong employment representation from biotech, technology and government sectors, a report noted. Can government workers, can they all work from home? Because I know there's so many security risks with home networking. Maybe everybody's found work, work solutions. Because I know if, if you have secure information, you don't want it to go over your home network, your home internet. But uh, maybe maybe everybody's got a solution from that. I don't know. Um, it was noted, it was followed by Washington, D.C. So Boston was the ranked and most resilient, and it was followed by Washington, D.C., and then New York City, its five boroughs, and San Francisco in terms of resilience. What's interesting is Washington, D.C. also has some of the greatest pockets of poverty as well. Las Vegas was ranked most vulnerable with the highest concentration of construction, 7.7%, and leisure and hospitality, 31.8%. Um, and that's all the hotels and casinos. Las Vegas leads all cities in at-risk sector employment share, 62.6%, and is most, most likely to see the weakest home price performance, according to the report. Las Vegas was followed by Miami, Detroit, and San Diego in terms of vulnerability. And this is the, the article's author saying, I hopped on the phone with Brody Gay, Unison's vice president of research, who sold... Uh, 
who said some of the cities were a surprise. For example, a big component of San Diego's economy is very discretionary and tourist related. I hadn't really thought that through, but it makes sense. The one economy that I follow pretty closely is Hawaii, and they are absolutely just rocked dead. I mean, they basically shut down their economy because they're, um, you know, they've had a prior, they had a leper colony in Hawaii and Molokai up until 1969, and they let all those people go. They were able to leave, but most people said, nah, this is our life, we're going to stay here. So you've got a former leper colony, they have a major exposure to those kind of diseases, and they they know how they want to handle things. They've got a population that doesn't do well because of health risks, the Polynesian population. A lot of them are overweight and, and uh, health issues. And then they've also got just a really not great medical um, care system. It, it's terrible. So um, if they get it, they're toast. So they've just been shut down. So you can't go to Hawaii unless you do a 14-day quarantine. And they are arresting people because um, they take it very, very seriously. And it's a great threat to their population if coronavirus gets in there and does its thing. Because they're on an island, they can't really go anywhere. But um, that's one segment of the popular uh, one economy that's been just absolutely decimated. So some areas of San Diego are very resilient and some are very vulnerable depending on the part of the city. But unsurprisingly, both Las Vegas and Florida have seen dramatic increases in COVID-19 cases. So it's not shocking that the two, which are also very reliant on tourism, made the top four of most vulnerable cities. So you got a lot of tourism. That's not doing well in the age of COVID where you can't really travel anywhere. Same thing with Hawaii. You can't get there. So if your city is, you know, dependent upon tourism, not going to happen. But if you're dependent upon, um, you know, IT structure for your workers, seems like you're okay. Those, those areas are going to be just way better off is kind of bottom line here. Anecdotally, Gay pointed out that some of the more resilient cities also happen to be the ones that have the political freedom to deal responsibly with the pandemic. Areas that are more vulnerable are areas where you have seen things open up prematurely, he added. I think a lot of the states that opened up prematurely, they are dealing with that. But most of this has to do with whether you are a tourism city and a lot of the areas that were tourism related, it seems like they opened up early. So they're kind of getting a double whammy. And so you're seeing certain cities do okay housing wise. Some cities are doing great like Seattle. I think we're having record appreciation right now. I know we've had record month over month sales, but that's because our sales dropped off you know, basically the face of the earth fell off a cliff and stopped in April, March and April, just didn't have any sales going on. And then when we cranked back up anything month over month, so like the difference between April and May, and then May and June, those are going to seem like huge numbers when in reality, we're just kind of getting back to normal. So I think you'll see a lot of that. But there are other areas where I keep hearing, oh, man, the housing market has gone crazy. And we keep going back to the two main factors. And that's low interest rates. 
and lack of supply going into this pandemic. We had record low levels of, of housing supply going into this thing. Now we've got even less because people are looking around going, man, I want to get a place a little further out or if I'm going to be stuck with this for the next year doing COVID and working at home, I need a bigger place. So we're seeing a ton of that right now. And then there's a whole phenomenon of, of um, yachts, motor yachts, big boats, boats with bedrooms, people wanting that. You can hardly find one of those to buy right now. Um, it's a real social phenomenon that's happening. And everybody from boat, boat, boat brokers to boat inspectors to surveyors to insurance companies, same thing. They're, they're just wildly busy. Um, you can't get moorage at a lot of places here in the Pacific Northwest because it's all tapped out. Same thing with RV dealers. They're just selling RVs like there's no tomorrow because people want to get away or they want to have the option. And a lot of it has to do with people aren't spending money the way they were because they can't really go on vacation. So they're like, all right, I guess this is the year we buy our RV and they go down that road. So a lot of that happening. So one of the things that I think impacts certain areas that we've been talking about is the fact that you've got entry level workers or workers that can't work from home. And one of the things propping them up has been the $600 weekly federal unemployment benefits on top of just unemployment benefits in general. And then you've got rent moratorium eviction processes, those are kind of being lifted. And so all of those things I think are going to really exacerbate the issues with some of these cities that their housing is going to be impacted because their workers basically can't work from home. Those areas are not designed. Maybe they're tourism. Maybe they're just areas like Detroit where you've had just major, major economic troubles. Same thing with Chicago. I know you've got just a slew of shootings that have happened in Chicago, and that's just brutal to, to watch unfold. But those areas are areas where you've got employment centers that are not tech oriented and are being and that is impacting the housing. So what we're going to look at is kind of part two of this is um, the economist warned scaled back unemployment benefits would kneecap recovery. And I think without some more employment benefits to some of these cities and these workers in these areas, it's going to impact the housing even further. So let's take a quick look at that and kind of see what that looks like, because I think that is really going to impact some of these cities we we're just talking about. So economists are warning Congress that scrapping or substantially reducing unemployment benefits will pull the rug out from the economic recovery. So Congress just got back in session and they're trying to figure out, all right, what are we doing here for a second round, basically a second round to workers? Um, we had the CARES package, and we've had a whole bunch of other stuff. But the CARES package basically provided that $1,200 one-time stimulus payment, and it's also done the $600 federal additional unemployment benefits. But that is set to expire basically July 26, so like a little less than a week from now. So that's why we're talking about that, because this is going to be yet another whammy on areas that are already hurting from this. So expanded unemployment is front and center as the Democratic controlled House and Republican controlled Senate embark on negotiations for the next COVID-19 relief package. Republicans argue the $600 in additional weekly unemployment benefits has created warped incentives by paying many people more than they previously earned at work. Democrats counter that the benefits set to expire on July 31st 
but they're really, in most areas, they're really going to set to expire, I think, July 26th. They are crucial at a time of historic unemployment. Already, and this is an article, sorry, this is an article in The Hill. Um, already, we're worried that the economy is starting to weaken, and that's before thinking about the government pulling back stimulus, said Beth Ann Bovino, the U.S. chief economist at S&P Global. If the government starts to pull back some of the measures that were in place, those positive numbers, talking about the recovery, that we saw say goodbye to them. And I do agree with some of that, but the broad strokes of the CARES package, we still don't really know how that money being pumped into the economy is really impacting things. We just haven't had enough time to be able to see the data set in. We don't know how that's going to affect our GDP, our gross domestic product. Gross domestic product. So, um, you know, there's kind of this wait and see versus, oh my gosh, if you wait and see, this is really going to crater further. So there's a lot of that going on. And I think there's going to have to be some kind of bipartisan solution between both the, the House and the Senate to get this done. Because I think, um, especially with a lot of the states closing back up, like California, you're gonna, we're, we're going to need to have something one way or the other. And whatever we can get done, whether it's, um, you know, maybe there's uh, help for people with an in, uh, income up to $40,000, something like that. I don't know, but you got to do something. Uh, Republicans say the additional $600 from the March 27 CARES Act means many workers would be taking a pay cut if they went back on the job. They're now looking to make changes. And that's what a lot of people said at the beginning of this is, oh, my gosh, how are we going to incentivize these people to go back to their jobs? They're making more money now and they're not working. They're going to have to go back to some pretty tough jobs and make less. That's a rude awakening for a lot of these people. And it is. And that that was a concern on the front end. But I think we had to just do something at the beginning of this because you can't shut an economy down and then tell everybody, well, good luck with that. That's just a recipe for massive social disaster. So we've said the number one issue is we have to finish the technical fix on enhanced unemployment. And that's from Treasury Sector uh, Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who is representing the administration alongside White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in the negotiation, said Monday said that. So today is Tuesday. That was yesterday. We're going to make sure that we don't pay people more money to stay home than go to work, he said. And I get that. But I think there's this fine balance. Not everybody is in that boat. Some people really need the money. Other people are taking advantage of it. Okay. It's hard to draw that line. Where do you draw that line? I don't know. Glad I'm not a politician. Plus, I would suck at that. I would just make decisions willy nilly that don't really have any basis other than what I think. And we all know how that goes. My ideas are the greatest. No, they're not. All right. We're going to make sure that we don't pay people more money to stay home than go to work, he said. Democrats note that it would likely take months for overstretched state employment offices to use decades-old software to put in place more targeted programs. Yeah, but they got it done the first time. They'll figure something out, right? If we don't put money in the pockets of the American people with their direct payments and unemployment insurance, it will be much worse, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi said last week. Now, a lot of people criticized Nancy Pelosi for saying that the, I think it was the HEROES Act, that's the $3 trillion basically second package that the House put out. And the Senate said, yep, this is dead on arrival. We're not doing it. This is a Christmas wish list by the Democrats. We're not involved with this. This is never going anywhere. I think that was the first proposal. And I think that was a rough draft to kind of get some of this stuff going. 
and they're going to have to do some, obviously, some massive compromises to figure out a game plan to move forward. But that's basically what that that Heroes Act was. Um, you know, it was a uh, an offer. It was a low ball offer, but um, then you go, you know, negotiate back and forth, and you get the ball rolling. So people really do need this money. Pelosi said, adding that families need cash for food and clothing. These are necessities, and when people use that money for necessities, they inject demand into the economy and create jobs. The unemployment situation in the country remains dire. For 17 weeks in a row, more than 1.3 million new people have applied for jobless benefits, about twice the pandemic high. The 11.1% unemployment rate exceeds the 10% rate peak rate of the Great Recession, and in April, it hit 14.7%, the highest level since the Great Depression. And I've done podcasts on that, and we all realize that the unemployment is wildly high, but that's what happens when you shut down an economy, right? Between regular unemployment and a special category of pandemic unemployment, Congress created the CARES Act. More than 30 million people are relying on government benefits because they are out of work. All right, so that's where I'm going to kind of end this article. And so we've got this narrative going on of areas of the country that are doing really well, and housing is going through the roof because you've got employees who basically stepped out of their offices, or maybe they never even went to their offices. Maybe a lot of these workers were just kind of identifying, they now work from home. I've got a bunch of friends who are like, hey, still working from home, and I might work from home from permanently. I don't like to work from home. I don't know about you. But I'd, I, if I had some big mansion somewhere, maybe but I think that would also be really isolating. I like to see people I like to go somewhere every day and feel like I'm actually doing something, even though I'm just basically sitting for the good part of my day, I'm sitting in front of a camera talking to you guys, which I thank you for tuning in. And that's an awesome thing. So our subscribers, we just went over 10,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. That was exciting. And I think we hit 2 million views last week sometime. Darian, is that right? Do you remember? When was that? Okay. We don't know, but we hit 2 million uh, views on our YouTube channel. So that was pretty wild. And um, so I spend a lot of time, you know, I'd like to go to the office. I like to do that. I'd like to come here and record, record podcasts. But a lot of people are forced to work from home. And those who can do and will continue to, especially as I think we're going to have probably round two of coronavirus and without um, any kind of vaccine or whatever you want to call it, I don't think, you know, I don't think there's any stopping probably round two of the Rona, right? And I think that'll happen maybe in November. We're not that far away from that or whenever it happens. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but whenever that happens. So I think you're going to see a lot of people continue well into 2021 working from home. And then you've got this real dichotomy of those who can't, who are exposing, exposing themselves and that the areas of the country where they live and uh, the whole tourism thing. I mean, it's just this brutal thing where some areas are doing really well, and some are not doing well. So it's not like people are picking where those areas are. But it's just kind of happening. And a lot of it has to do with the economic base of cities. So this is how I'm going to leave this podcast. So city of Seattle, council members of city of Seattle, Think about what I'm talking about, because you are forcing out big business from your cities, not a smart thing to do. But I live in Bellevue, just across the water. 
in what would people would say is the ritzy part of town. But I live in the hood. I live in East Bellevue, which is it's not ritzy. It's a, it's really expensive and it's overpriced. But it's not like I live in, um, you know, I'm not living next to Bill Gates in West Bellevue. And so city of Seattle, you need to really consider what you're doing with these crazy corporate tax structures that you're, you're setting up, because um, that is a recipe for fa failure, you are moving out incredibly uh, jobs with an incredible demand for them because they're high paying jobs, and people want to live here. And you're basically saying no, nah, we want we want you out of our city, we don't want you here. And you're doing that by taxation. So don't make Seattle one of these cities that loses so many of its tech workers that we're going to have housing issues. We don't want to see that. But there again, we seem to see a lot of movement towards Amazon or from Amazon over to Bellevue. So in my world, that's not all bad. But for you know, the city of Seattle is the mothership and you want to keep it that way. But right now, council members and mayor, you guys are wrecking Seattle. So that's just what I want to kind of point out here. Um, so that is it. That's my political slash housing rant towards the end here. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Love to have you subscribe if you find this content helpful to either your career, your lifestyle, or maybe just at a cocktail party where you want to talk about real estate or one of the topics that I cover here. So thanks again. I'm Sean Reynolds from the Seattle Real Estate Podcast, owner of Summit Properties Northwest, Reynolds Decline Appraisal. I'm podcasting at least daily. Sometimes we don't get those out daily, but I am podcasting. Um, and then it's just a struggle bus to, we're on the struggle bus to kind of get them out the door. So thanks again. We'll catch you in the next one. Bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out. 